Hey, how many of you are not into reading directions? You know, you get something and you just see the instructions and kind of toss them aside and you start trying to put it together and you think you know exactly what you're doing. I mean, you open the box and how hard can it be, right? Jesus said this, I'm giving you a new commandment. Okay, he's giving us what to do, a task for us to, be, to do it for real. And then he says this, I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other. Well, how do you pull that one off? I mean, how do you just all of a sudden start loving people? And he's going to say, okay, now here are the directions for this. I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other, and here it comes, in the same way that I have loved you. Do you want to know how to love other people? Well, the instructions are just simply look at Jesus what he did, and how he did it. This summer, we're calling it Summer of Love. We're going through a series, not because I was a hippie, although I did kind of, you know, just groove to such bands like the Monkees and the Partridge Family and those really cool groups like that. No, we're not doing it because of my past. Actually, it's because this is what we're called to do. Jesus says, I want you to love each other. So today, we're going to look at how Jesus loved, because that's a good question. If he said, follow me in the way I love, and I want you to love others the same way, it's important that you and I actually see, as much as in real time as we possibly can, how Jesus actually loved people in his lifetime and during his ministry here. And these are well-known situations, and you may have read these stories before if, if you are not new to this stuff, but we want to see how Jesus actually looked beyond beyond what most people would see, and actually looked into the person and loved them that way. So let's get right into understanding how Jesus, he loved and he accepted, and he believed in people. Loves, accepts, and believes. The Bible says this. So Jesus left the Judean countryside and went back to Galilee. To get there, he had to pass through Samaria. Now, there's something wrong with the picture. Actually, there's something wrong with the words. The had to. That's what's wrong. It doesn't, it doesn't quite fit in. I mean, if I go on a road trip, you know, and I use, I will use had to when I had to get gas or I had to take a bio break or, or I had to, for instance, if the only road is going this direction, I, I had to go through Bakersfield. The had to is like there's an obligatory, there's a reason I have to go through there. And actually, Samaria was a no-man's land to Jewish people. They just, they just didn't go there. It was just kind of an area you just stayed away from. The Samaritans, they had their own worship, and they worshiped their own gods, and the Jewish people didn't like that. In fact, they'd get so upset by that that they'd just kind of burn it down when they could or get rid of it when they could. And, and the Samaritans didn't like the Jewish people that much either. And they barely tolerated each other. They just, they just didn't get along. And the, and the, the Jesus had to here... It's not really had to in the Google directions sense. Actually, there's better roads that you could take, and there's roads that would go around Samaria. And the had to, though, is for another reason. It's pretty cool, and we're going to see it. It says this. He, he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. He was tired from the journey, so he sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? 
The Samaritan woman said to him, how, how is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink? Since I'm a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And there it is. They, they don't get along. And again, there's something wrong with this picture as, as well. First of all, it's noon. You know, it's, it's midday. And, and if you've ever been in the Mideast, if you've ever been in Southern California, at noon, it's just hot. It's just stinking hot down there and back there. You don't go get water at midday. You get it early in the morning because carrying big pitchers of water is hard. The second thing that's wrong is she's by herself. Women don't go get water by themselves. They go together. That's what they do. And we put these things together and we find out that she's probably not very well liked by the other women. If this is the time she gets water and this is the time she goes and she goes by herself. She is probably, and we'll look at this a little bit in a second, she's probably marginalized, ostracized. Probably the other women in town don't want much to do with her. Well, how come? Jesus told her, go call your husband and come back. <clears throat> I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. Fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not even your husband. What you've just said, quite true. So we kind of figure out that um, she's not Miss Innocence here. And do you understand now why she's kind of left alone? We're not talking about Sychar being a massive city. It's a small town. And she was in that small town, that woman. You know, five husbands, she's living with a sixth. She was that woman. The woman you didn't talk to, the woman you don't want living next to you, the woman you certainly don't want around your husband. Yeah, remember what it said? It said, Jesus, he had to pass through Samaria. Well, how come? He had to pass through Samaria because there was a woman there who was going out to get water, and Jesus knew that she was a real person, and it was time for her to come face-to-face -face with somebody that could cut through all her layers and look at her for who she really was. And I, and I, and I guess I would love myself, all of us, to have the attitude that everyone, absolutely everyone we intersect with, is God's appointment for you and me for us to show love, everyone we intersect with. In a sense, everyone that we connect with, we run across. The person behind the counter is not just filling my order. They're loved by God and need to be loved by me. The person putting air in his tires, he's a person made by God to be loved. Peter says this, he says, treat most people you meet with dignity. Now, Peter didn't say that. He said this, treat everyone you meet, everyone with dignity, absolutely every, everybody. And the word dignity means give them the highest value, the highest, everyone. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why did he have to go through Samaria? Because there was a human being, a person, a person that a lot of people didn't give a rip about. And she needed to meet the Savior of the world. She needed somebody to see through her layers and love her. 
And so there's some next steps here, and, and I think they just kind of lead us to this. Um, who can you value? Who can I value that maybe I have not been seeing as a real person? And I really believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, God's power to work within us and to talk to you. And there is somebody in your life, if whoever it is in your life, value them. Value them. Who they are. And how God's made them. Value them today. Because love values, accepts, and it believes in people. This is the famous story of the woman caught in adultery. And I need a model for my life, the instructions, and how do I treat people that are sinful? They don't meet my expectations of behavior. You know, they, 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 they fail me. They fail the system. They, don't, they just don't do right. How do I love them? How, how do you love them? How do we as a church love people like that? Okay, there are some facts in this story. Um, first of all, she was caught. She was cheating on her husband. Where was the guy? I don't know. Maybe he took off, but they caught her. Second thing is they're trying to trap Jesus. They said this in the law. The law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Now, how would they accuse him? Well, if Jesus says, don't stone her, then he would be breaking the law of Moses. If Jesus says, stone her, then he'd lose favor with the people. So it's kind of a lose-lose situation that they're putting Jesus in. You know, we got him. They're probably giving each other high fives, you know, perfect situation to, to put Jesus in a corner. It says, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Yeah, what's, what's that all about? You know, wrote. What, wrote. Wrote what? And, of course, board theologians have big theories on this, what Jesus wrote and all of that. But the word wrote actually could mean doodle. It could mean he was just simply making little squiggles, tic-tac-toe. He could be making designs. It really doesn't matter what he was doing. What mattered is his attitude and his heart towards this woman says they get, they get mad. It says they kept questioning him, you know, questioning. What's your answer? We got rocks, you know, we got rocks here, and you're doing the, you're drawing in the dust, you know, let's get ready to rumble, you know, we've got this woman right here, we got everything all set up. It says he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first one to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Now, now, in my experience in, in, in life, and even in church, there's just going to be rock throwers. I mean, there's just going to be rock throwers around. And rock throwers are really concerned about the rules, and they put the rules above the people. And rules are good. I get that. I understand that. But they become so concerned about the rules that they lose sight of the value of the person. And you could say, well, hey, this one was adultery, you know? It's like there's a lot of thou shalt nots in the Bible. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. It's like number four, you know, or three. It's number three in this whole deal. It's one of the Ten Commandments. 
Rock throwers, they see people, but they see people only through the framework of rules that are broken, that they don't fit into their pre-existing paradigm of, of behavior. Others, however, can see the person and realize that sin catches us. It just does. And sees that we're pretty weak and frail and we goof up sometimes. And it doesn't focus on the problem, but it focuses upon the what? Upon the person. It's not, well, somebody really should do something about that woman or somebody really should do something about that guy. But loves. Listen to what the Bible says about this. It says, dear brothers and sisters, if, if another believer is overcome by some sin, meaning all of a sudden the sin or the temptation just overwhelms them, takes them out. You who are godly should, here it comes, gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. And then it says this, share each other's burdens, and in this way, you obey the law of Christ. After Jesus had finished his doodling, this is so cool, it says this, after this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with a woman still standing there. And I could just kind of, in the back of my mind, imagine rock after rock being dropped, boom, boom, boom. And it's getting quieter and more quiet as the people walked away. Jesus straightened up and asked her woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? First time she speaks, no one, sir. She said, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now. Leave your life of sin. And you want to say, that's it? <laughs> that's all he's going to do? Man, if it was me, I'd put out a four-point sermon on adultery. You know, I'd have a series on summer of something, you know, and talk about that or all the seven deadly sins. Does Jesus acknowledge the wrong she did? Of course he does. Absolutely he does. And, and that should be a given. But I, I've really learned that it, it's not my job to make people feel guilty. I shouldn't try. I shouldn't try to make people feel guilty. Number one, it's not my job. That's God's job. It's God's job to bring guilt upon people. Number two, you can't make anyone feel anything. And number three, I've found for most people, most people already do feel guilty about something. Already they feel guilty about something. You go to God, and you know, when you go to him, he doesn't say, yeah, you better feel bad about that, you jerk. The Bible says this, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. There's no condemnation. So we don't condemn. There's a scripture in the Bible that says this, Jesus treated us much better than we deserve. That's really true. He made us acceptable to God and gave us the hope of eternal life. It's Jesus who makes us acceptable. <clears throat> and one of the problems is we sometimes don't know the difference between acceptance and approval, and they're very, very different. Jesus accepts you completely. He loves you and accepts you. It doesn't mean he approves of what I do, but I know he loves me. I know he accepts me. And you can accept someone and love them 
without approving of what they do. Love, remember what love does. To love like Jesus, it means it values, it accepts, and it believes in people. Remember this verse. The Bible says this, love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. I mean, those are great words. Believes, hopes, endures. Have you ever had somebody who disappointed you? Ever? And you're right now thinking of a situation. In fact, it may be kind of just burning right now in, in your head. And, and, and if I were to ask for a show of hands, and I will on Sunday when we do this, I would think every hand would go up. Has anyone ever disappointed you? Every hand would go up. And understand, because every hand would go up, you are probably one of the people that disappointed somebody else. You may be one of the people that's disappointed half of everybody else. And they put up with you. And how Jesus put up with the disciples who took off when he wanted them around the end of his ministry, I'll never know, but he did. And sometimes people just get the faith kicked out of them, and sometimes they're down and discouraged or depressed, and, and another D word, they're in despair, and they do dumb things. They just do. And look at those words. Love bears it. It believes in the person's ability to change. <laughs> It always hopes. It endures. It endures through it all. I'm reading a book. It's, it's called The Anatomy of Deconversion. And it's a very good, very terrible book because what it's talking about is how many very committed people who've been part of, of, of a church family or been really involved in what Jesus has been doing in their life, they've deconverted, meaning they were once committed to Christ and now they've gone back and they deny all of it. Some have become atheists, outspoken atheists. And one of the reasons, and this is something that they would say as, as, as they were interviewed and talked about, they would always carry about them just something in, in, their, in the back of their minds that all of a sudden began to, to take root. And one of the reasons that people were turned away from God was, and, and here it comes, judgmentalism in the church people that would judge you if you weren't exactly like them. And, and what can happen, and, and, and this is just a thing that, that I want us to keep in mind, we come here all messed up. You know, you come to God all messed up. You don't have to be clean. You don't have to have any of part of your act together when you come to God. He accepts you just as you are, exactly as you are. And, and, and as you grow in your faith, as you begin to grow more and more in your faith, your life begins to kind of pull back together again. Your emotions come in check. Maybe some of your habits start to go away. Your addictions maybe ease up. And things begin to start getting better and better in your life. And what happens is we become forgetful of the way we once were. And so somebody comes in with a very messed up life, as messed up as we once were, and we forget. We can't remember what life was like. And so we begin to become judgmental. Our kids will see that. And what they think in their minds is, once I'm old enough, I'm out of here. Never, ever, ever forget the grace that God gives. Not just when your life was messed up. Because believe me, if we could see into each other's hearts, we would understand how we're still pretty messed up. I mean, not pretty messed up, really messed up. 
Never forget that God continually gives grace to you and me, the sinner. Jesus said this, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. And he didn't give a command to us that we're not able to do. And maybe right now you need to, you know, drop your stone. Drop your stone. Maybe there's somebody that you have just been holding something against, glad they're struggling, hoping that you could find them in something even worse so you have an excuse not to love them. Jesus never did that. And he would say, love each other the same way I loved you. And really the starting point, the starting point of finding love is in finding Jesus. When he says, as I have loved you, means look at his love for you, your life. He died for you in spite of you being you, in spite of me being me. And maybe this is a verse for you. It says this, may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep God's love really, really is. Let's take a second. Can we pray as I finish this time right now? If you would pray with me. Open up yourself to how God can speak to you even right now. If there's somebody you're embittered against, if there's somebody you're angry at, there's somebody you haven't forgiven, it's not the way Jesus loved. And you know that's only going to lead to a dead end, and it's not doing you any good, it's not doing them any good. And maybe you're saying, I have no idea how to begin to love them. The answer is be so filled up with God's love that it overflows, spills out, just dumps out onto everybody. To know that God loves you. He loves you. In spite of what you've done, in spite of the times that you've failed, in spite of the times that you've hurt people and others and thought only of yourself. Because I think if you knew exactly how much God loved you, it would be simple and a lot easier to forgive and love other people. So God, I pray right now for all who are listening, myself as well, help me to love the way Jesus loved. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you for being part of this. Um, so glad that you tuned in. We're going to close our service in just a second with a song and um, Listen, if you need somebody, again, to walk alongside you or be with you as you're going through life, connect with us. Contact us. We would love to reach back out to you and do anything we can to help you with a relationship. Maybe you have questions about your walk with God or what it means to have a walk with God, or maybe you even have questions about Jesus. You're down all kinds of stuff. We would love to talk with you, love you, and help you know this great life that Jesus has for you. God bless you guys. Thank you for tuning in. Hang on, we're going to do one more song. Thank you.